0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. All right, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to continue from last week. I, I started a, a message last week on, um, on what? What was it? Baggage. Baggage. I called it, check your bags, right? And, uh, and we started off... Talking about traveling, I love, I love to travel. How many of you love to travel? You love traveling, awesome. But do you love the destination or do you love the process of traveling? I have an aunt and uncle that drove here, drove all day yesterday. They've been to, been all the way across to New Mexico and everywhere else. Man, I do not. Sean and I were in Dallas this week, and I mean, you know, the traveling wears you out, doesn't it? Wears you out. So reality is some people say that the process is the destination. I say, bull, no, it's not. No, it's not. The process is not the destination. Traveling is not the destination. So, you know, we think of what I talked last week. I want to go over what I talked about last week because it's the foundation kind of for everything. But man, that whole process, planes, trains, and automobiles, right? Man, just, and I I talked last week about my phobia of hotels. What in the world has been going on in there, right? Right? Talked about a few horror stories with with some of the teenagers, some of the youth trips that we did back in the day and stuff. But one of the worst parts of traveling is carrying baggage. Now, how many of you love the baggage claim process at the airport? It's terrible, especially if you've been on a long flight and you get off and you're ready to get home or get to your destination or wherever you're going, and what do you do? You stand in front of this daggum conveyor belt, Right? And you stand there and stand there, and you're just praying and hoping that your luggage even comes out, right? Any of you ever had lost luggage? It's terrible. It's terrible. And so we have this baggage claim process. And now many airlines, and we know for the last few years, are charging for bags, right? And because they're charging for bags, and because of the pain of the baggage claim process, more and more people are carrying their bags on the plane with them. Any of you have flown in the last couple of years and seen this? People pack everything as full as they can and try and get on the plane so they don't have to check them in the baggage claim. They carry everything. And you've seen the person trying to shove everything into the overhead bin and you look at it and you go, that's never going to fit. It's never going to go. And finally, a, a flight attendant has to come check it on the back of the plane because it won't fit in the compartment because they tried to carry everything onto the plane with them instead of dealing with their baggage at baggage claim, Right? Which brought me to the question, how many of us try to carry our baggage in life instead of deciding to deal with it and to claim it? We don't want to deal with our baggage. We don't want to check it because maybe even from past experience, we know this can be a long, sometimes painful process. And so instead of dealing with our baggage and doing what we should with it and turning it over, we decide to carry it all. And how many of you know... That'll start hurting your back. Now, thank goodness now. You know, Sean and I, for our trip, our 20th anniversary trip a couple months ago, we got new luggage, the one that has four wheels on the bottom, right? Boy, that's nice. (laughs) Just wheel it right along beside you. But it's still a pain having to keep up with all that stuff, isn't it? And here's the reality: all of us have baggage. Somewhere, someplace in our life, we're carrying baggage. Something terrible happened. And instead of dealing with it, we decided, you know what? I'm strong. I can deal with this. I don't need anybody's help. Nobody's going to see me cry. I can carry this. And what do we do? We pick up another bag and we carry it. And many of us over the period of our life, we do that over and over and over again until we get to the point that we look like Jacob Marley hauling all these chains and all these things behind us, right? Remember from A Christmas Carol? Wasn't his name Jacob Marley? Yes. (laughs) Carrying all these chains and all these different things, all these weights that we acquired when all we've got to do is drop them, but we choose to carry them instead. And so that is my question in this series. we got Dr. Leon coming in next week, but I'll continue the next two weeks after that. But that's my question. What is it that I'm carrying in life? What is it that I'm carrying around with me that shouldn't be a part of my journey through life? And actually, some of you have seen your service guide, there was a, a note sheet if you'd like to take notes along, and the scriptures are in there, and all that kind of thing, you can follow along, or you can follow along online as well. But last week, I, I asked a question, where does our baggage come from? And I gave you five things. First was unfulfilled expectations, unfulfilled, even unrealistic expectations. So where does anger come from? Anger comes when we want something, or we expect something, or we think we deserve something, and we don't get it, right? Anger. Where does disappointment come from? Well, this... Should have happened. This was supposed to happen, but instead, this happened. Disappointment, right? Unfulfilled expectations. Talked about as Christians, we think that, well, because we've given our life to Christ and we serve this loving God, well, God should be at my beckoning call, ready to magically answer every little wish and bail us out of every little problem. When the reality is, Jesus promised that there would be suffering in this life. He promised that we would walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but that he would be with us. I mean, you know, when we're walking hand-in-hand through the valley of shadow of death with the creator of the universe, we're going to be okay. We're going to make it. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but we're going to make it. It's going to be all right. And the fact that we live in a self-entitlement type culture doesn't help things either. Remember we talked about how you know we, we raise our kids telling them their whole way growing up, you're so special. You're so special. You're a winner. You know, we, 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 we give them trophies when you know, they're on the losing team and ride the bench the whole season. And, and we just clap and clap. And really, I think and there's a part of that I understand. But the reality is, kid, nobody but your mom and dad and Jesus find you special. You're one of six billion people in the world, and that sounds harsh, but we're afraid of saying such a thing because it's going to crush their little spirit. But I think some ways we've we've failed our kids, not allowing them, and that's a little extreme, I know, but we haven't allowed them the space to understand failure. We talked about in Great Britain, they had been trying to pass a law to get rid of the grade F because they thought the word failure would crush little kids. Instead, they want to make it DS, delayed success. It's like, come on. Our kids need to know what failure is. They gotta understand. You're gonna fail. I talked about that. You know, they're not gonna go in for a job interview and at the end of it they say, Well, you're not gonna get the job, but we're proud of you. You did great. You're special. You tried. It's not gonna happen like that. They're gonna to have to deal with failure, they're gonna to have to deal with rejection and different things like that. So we talked about unfulfilled expectations. Where else does baggage come from? Untreated pain. Man, we're from the South. We've been taught to fake it till you make it. We put on a big smile. How you doing? I'm doing great. And no, you're not. Even when you're not, right? Sometimes you got pain and things that you're dealing with, but we've learned to put on that fake smile, untreated pain. Third thing was unresolved past, not dealing with things quickly enough, because understanding the things that things are going to happen in life, there's going to be hurt, there's going to be pain, and there's going to be disappointment. But we have to deal with it before it begins to fester. We read in in Ephesians 4, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And it says, do not give the devil a foothold in your life. So he's basically saying here, the Bible is saying, look, it's okay. You're going to be angry and you're going to be upset. Realize some of us get all, we feel all guilty when, you know, we just get angry. It's okay. Jesus got upset and angry, didn't he? But it says, look, you've got to deal with it. And this scripture says, deal with it the same day. And if you don't, and it says that you give the enemy a foothold in your life, not because of what happened, but because you didn't deal with it, right? The fourth thing was unhealthy view of self. And I told you this is one I always struggle with, and I think so many of us do. When you're told in your life that you're a loser, that you're never going to amount to anything, when you're taught that you're ugly and that that no one will ever like you, you begin to buy into that. And you begin to say to yourself, well, that's just the way I am, and that's the way I'll always be. And you got this unhealthy view of self. And the accurate view of ourselves is how God sees us, not how anybody else sees us. God saw us as so valuable that he sent a son. The last thing I gave you was unrepented sin. Not unconfessed sin, but unrepented sin. Basically, you may have come to church, you may have given your life to Christ, you may have confessed your sin to God and, and the failures in your life, however... You didn't take the steps to begin to walk out of those things. And so you may have received Christ 10, 15, 20 years ago, but you're still walking around the same mountains and the same issues over and over again because you never dealt with those issues in your life. And talked about, you know, in, in an airport, the best part about an airport, airports are a pain, but the best part is dropping your bags, and that's what we've got to do in an airport. Realize, and that's what we've got to do in our life. We've got to drop the bags, understanding that Christ is there, Jesus is there, and he's ready to take our bags if we'll just hand them over. We talked about how our baggage, the baggage in our life, it isn't based on reality because it's not how God sees us. And when we live our life based on something that's not true, then we're nothing more than a prisoner to deception. God says, if we look in the Bible, the Bible says that you're more than enough. It says that you're an overcomer. It says that you're equipped to handle everything the world throws at you. It says that you're a child of God and you're an heir to his promises, that you're a talented, gifted person with purpose. Many times we don't believe that. And that's the problem. So how do we reject the lies in our life? From 2 Corinthians, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. In Romans 12, by renewing our mind in Ephesians 4 in the attitudes of our minds. To what end? In John eight thirty two, that you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. And God does want us to live free. And to end last week, I gave you three things. What is the truth? What is the truth we've got a basis on? One was God still loves me. No matter what you've done, God loves loves you. Just like I mentioned a few minutes ago, our our kids aren't perfect, but when when they fail, it doesn't make us love them less. It makes us want to work all the more to be there for them and to push them in the right direction. And it's the same with God. We don't always make Him proud in every decision that we make and everything that we do, but He doesn't expect that. And in those moments when we do fail, it just makes Him come in and love us all the more and want to be there for us. The second thing was, God can free me. Some of you have bought into the lie that this is who I am and this is how I'll always be. Well, this is just my family. This is just the way we are. Things will never change. And you know what? They won't if that's what you've bought into. But the reality is that God can free you. And then the last thing was God will restore me. The only thing in this life that can restore you past your failures back to factory default is Jesus. He can restore purpose in your life again. You may think that you have blown it, Your whole life, your whole purpose, everything has been derailed, maybe because of bad decisions in your life or whatever else it is, maybe because of something that happened to you. But God can restore your life. He can restore your purpose if you allow him to. You're not without hope. So I want to go in, I want to talk for a few minutes today about guilt, the weight of guilt. And I looked up guilt and and two definitions for guilt. I'll give you the first one real quick. The fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. How many of you know what it's like to be guilty? I'll give you a quick example of that. Kind of embarrassing. Last year I had to make a quick trip to Nashville for a day. Aaron rode with me. We ran to Nashville in the morning. Had this appointment in Nashville. Had to get back. It's late in the evening. Sun's going down. I'm trying to get home as fast as I can. How many of you sometimes have a problem with going a little too fast? I came off Interstate 40 onto 385, and I'm cruising. I'm cruising, right? I mean, I'm, I'm moving. And, um, I mean, I generally don't do more, you know, about 10 miles over. But I, I, was, I was moving. I was moving. And I'm coming up, going down the left lane, I come up, and there's this black charger blocking the left lane. And smooth-looking car. I'm coming up on it, and it's not moving. So I decide to try and go around it, right? now, I'm coming around. And, and what does he do? He matches my speed. Mm, mm, mm. Boy, I had... And so I speed up a little bit, and he matches my speed again. And I see a semi up here in the right lane in front of me. So do I do the wise thing and slow down and get behind this beautiful charger? No, of course not. I floored it. Boom, zipped right around him, right? And now I was really flying. I mean, I'm I'm moving fast. And, you know, there's a part of you as a guy that goes, yes, until the blue lights came on. And I realized that black charger was an unmarked car. And I was cruising. I mean, this is one of those, walk up to your window, take your license. I was like, oh, no. This, you know, and I, I was embarrassed, and I was scared, and I thought, oh, this is going to be bad. And, right, and Aaron's sitting here, and I was like, that was so stupid. And uh, anyway, officer walks up to my window. I, I'm thinking, what am I going to say? And I look over at him, and I got my license, registration, insurance. And he doesn't even ask. He just looks at me with his mouth open. And I just looked at him and I said, Sir, I'm I'm obviously an idiot. (laughs) I promise that's what I said. Please don't send me emails. I know I shouldn't say that about myself, but that's what I said in that moment because I truly felt like an idiot. How many of you know there are moments when you know that you're guilty? Thank goodness he was very gracious. He was like, Sir, where are you going? I told him, he's like, please slow it down. Didn't even write me a warning. I was like, I don't do that anymore. Guilty. We know when we're guilty. But there's a second definition of guilt. This is a feeling of having done wrong or failed in an obligation. And this is the one more often that trips us up. Sometimes it's related to that first definition where we can't let go. But this this is powerful. In our lives, this type of guilt, this kind of guilt can derail your life. And some people, I believe so many people deal with guilt today And it can weigh us down in such a huge way. And over time, it affects our perspectives and our attitudes and our responses and situations and everything else. And, you know, because of guilt, we may do things we wouldn't have normally done, and we may not do things that we would have normally done. Guilt can be very powerful. And guilt can affect our view of God. Some of you may have grown up in a hellfire and brimstone kind of church, your hair was a little too long, or ladies, your shirt, skirt was a little too short, or guys, you had a little bit of facial hair, or my Lord, you better not have a tattoo, or you slipped a little bad word when somebody cut you off in traffic, you're going to hell. Any of you been under that kind of, in that kind of church for? The problem is that distorts our view of God, and that's not who God is. God is not trying to catch us sinning He's not up there keeping a list and checking it twice like Santa Claus, except when we do something wrong, right? He's not up there doing that. Under this type of teaching, we feel like God is always disappointed in us and that we can never be enough. And realizing that God is not, a, is not some prison warden trying to hold us prisoner, he actually came to set us free. So we got to learn to drop the luggage in our life, the baggage in our life that's weighing us down. And, and look, talking about God being a prison warden, trying to hold his prisoner, the reality is when we buy into guilt and we hang on to that in our life and we carry it, all we're doing is we're throwing ourselves into a self-inflicted prison. We're holding ourselves in prison by holding on to that guilt in our life. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and I looked up several versions. I like God's word translation. It says, come to me, all you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. How many of you know there is nothing that will weigh you down and is more exhausting than carrying guilt in your life. It will weigh you down in a huge way. So many of you are probably tired and exhausted from carrying those things and maybe even trying to fix it in your life, trying to be good enough, trying to appease this guilt in your life and trying to do it apart from God. So many people avoid God. So many people avoid church because... Of the guilt in their life, when the reality is we should be running to God when we have those things. Psalm 38:4 in the New Living says, My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. Any of you ever been in that place where guilt wore you down to the point of collapse? It'll do it. I mean, people take their life over guilt, don't they? It's huge, it's a heavy burden. And we're in that position where we're being burdened down by all this guilt. We can't do anything well, and we can't fulfill God's given purpose and plan for our life because it consumes us. We buy into this idea that God no longer loves me, no longer wants me, he can no longer use me. And it's not true. It's a lie. If we look all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve, and what are they doing? They're they're living this life of perfection. They're walking together with God in the cool of the day in freedom. And in innocence, there was no guilt or shame until sin crept in, right? And all of a sudden, what did we find the first thing they do as a result of guilt? They hide from God, right? Next thing we know, they're pointing a the finger at each other, bringing accusations, and they turned on each other. Guilt makes us want to hide, but the funny thing about that is that to deal with guilt, you can't hide. You've got to. Bring it out in the open. Jesus came to restore us back to that original image. That's what God wants in our life. He wants to restore us back to that original image in the garden, walking with God in innocence and freedom. Galatians 5.1, some of you know this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. God created us to be free, right? It says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know, something I'd never noticed before was the word again. How often do we try and step back into slavery again and again and again? Think about the children of Israel, right? As they were brought out and, you know, they they come to the Red Sea. Oh, we might as well go back. They don't have any water. Oh, we might as well go back. Oh, there's not any food. Oh, we might as well go back. Why do they keep wanting to go back to slavery instead of trusting God and being free? But that's kind of our tendency. When things get tough, we just step back into the bondage and the things that held us before. And, and here's the funny thing, there's many people that sit in church and they would say, you know what, I know that God loves me, I know that he loves me, but if you really dig deep in your life, what you find is there's areas in their lives that they haven't forgiven themselves. And if you haven't forgiven yourself, subconsciously, there's no way you can believe that God forgives you. There's no way. And when this happens, guilt has a stronghold on us. And here's another thing I thought of just last night. You realize there may be some of us in here that come to church because of guilt. Think about that. You're trying to deal with the guilt in your life, and so you think, you know what, if I just go to church, if I just drop a dollar in the bucket, if I just do something, we, we have this idea that it'll make God love us a little bit more, that God will be maybe, maybe He'll be all right with me if I can just go do something else for him along the way. It's good to come to church. Got to drop money in the bucket. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that. What's the motivation? So, what adds to the weight of guilt? I'm going to give you three things real quick. Um, What adds to the weight of guilt? Number one, painful regret. Painful, painful regret. We all have some regrets in life, don't we? Things we wish we had done differently. Don't we? We wish we had done some things differently. But the problem occurs when we have regrets and we don't don't deal with them and move on. Instead, what we do is we replay them over and over and over again, and we allow it to affect our life. You think about Paul. What was his name originally? Saul. You think about Saul. He oversaw the killing. They don't know how many. hundreds. Some theologians believe even thousands of Christians that he was there. He witnessed the murder of. And I'm going to read for just a second from Acts chapter 7. Verses 54 through 58 say, and this is, this, is, um, this is when Stephen, this is when Stephen was stoned. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. What does that even mean, they gnashed their teeth at him? Anyway, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him. Now, if you can imagine, what crazy folks, man. They're gnashing their teeth. They have their ears covered, and they're yelling at the top of their voices, and now they're running at him. We got a crazy mob, yes? They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, but it's that last part there. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and this was Paul, right? goes on to be Paul. Paul should have had a ton of regret in his life. He went from hating the church to loving the church after he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? And he goes on to write, y'all know this, in Romans 8, in verse 1 it says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you know, only a free person can write that. He oversaw the killing of hundreds and even thousands of them. And he wrote that. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But how often do we choose to live in condemnation? That's the first thing. Add to the weight of baggage in our life is painful regret. Number two, not letting go. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and become all, behold, all things have become new. This is the way it should be. However, the problem lies in holding on to that guilt. And what does guilt become when we hold on to it? It becomes shame. And I don't know if you all remember, I think it was last year, I was, I was doing a series and talked about, uh, I talked about guilt and shame a little bit, that there is a difference between guilt and shame. They can be closely tied together in many ways. However, you know, guilt, guilt can at least be a little bit beneficial at times. If we do something that we shouldn't, There should be guilt in a moment, right? We should feel bad in that moment. The problem lies when we hang on to it. So it can be beneficial in our life. However, guilt says, I've done wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. It says there's something wrong with me. And so when we hold on to guilt for a long time and we don't deal with it, we begin to buy buy into this idea that I'm a failure. I can't do anything right. I'll never be able to step out of this. So you may have failed, but you, on top of that, you add guilt and you add condemnation and you add time, you begin to believe that you're a failure. So say you tell a lie. You feel guilty. So what does God say? What does the Holy Spirit say? What's he saying inside of you? He's saying, don't lie anymore. You're better than this. Right? He brings that conviction. But what does condemnation says? Condemnation says you're a liar. See how you are? You'll never change. You really believe God can forgive you again? You did it again. You really believe it? That's what condemnation says, right? And then we begin to buy into that, and it's shame. We walk around shameful in life saying, I'm a failure. I can never change. So that's the second thing was not letting go. The third thing that can add to the weight of shame or guilt in our life is not allowing God to forgive you and cover your failures. Allowing God to forgive you and to cover your failures. And this is huge, because many of you know, one of the foundations of the Word of God is every sin has to be paid for. Y'all understand that? Every sin in life has to be paid for. What did he say in the Garden of Eden? If you sin, you will surely die. Death was the price paid for sin, right? Now, thank goodness Jesus came and he paid the price for all of them. Awesome. But either way in this life, regardless of who we are, sin has to be paid for. So either we're going to pay for it or we're going to allow Jesus to pay for it by the price he paid on the cross. When we carry guilt, that's a partial payment for sin in our life. We're carrying that and we're paying the price of our sin and instead of allowing God to cover that when it's not necessary. Jesus was forgiving people on the cross and he can forgive you regardless of what you've done. Many people don't go to church simply because they don't believe and understand that God wants to forgive them. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, y'all know it says God's grace is sufficient, but it goes on and says, and will make your weaknesses a strength. So, Okay, you're at this point in life and maybe you failed as a husband or as a wife. And so you just sit there and all you can picture is your fault, and that you're a failure. You tell yourself that over and over again. It's, it's in the back of your mind. Your marriage failed. It ended in divorce or whatever. And so you tell yourself, I'm a failure. Maybe you made some bad decisions in life seem to derail things and didn't go the direction you thought it would, and now you've got this idea that you will never get your life back on track and be able to, to do anything great. Maybe maybe your children didn't turn out the way you thought they would. Maybe they've been through some hard stuff and maybe you blame yourself. Maybe you blame your own failings as a parent. It's what we naturally do as parents, right? Maybe something Maybe something terrible happened. The or may not be your fault, but you carry the blame for it, and um, you just can't get past it. You know, that I was reminded of uh, how many of you remember a few years ago, you all know Stephen Curtis Chapman, the, the, the temporary Christian artist, when uh, in 2008 his, daughter, his kids were out playing outside, and his daughter Maria was trying to get up on the monkey bars outside at the house and couldn't get up, so she went running looking for her brother Will because he was a lot older to lift her up to the monkey bars, and she came running around a corner, as he was backing the SUV out of the driveway, and he never saw her, and she lay dead in the driveway. Can you imagine? I would have wanted to die in that moment. The guilt, the weight of that. Some of y'all know he went on to write the song Cinderella, Stephen Curtis Chapman did, uh, to his for his daughter. And his son is has recovered in the midst of all this and, and has, a, has a Christian band himself and, and, uh, and, you know, I guess seems to be doing well, but can you imagine the scars that left on his heart in the midst of all that? Terrible things happen in life, don't they? When, and sometimes there's just nobody to blame, but we carry it, don't we? We have a way of carrying those things. We tend to think that God loves us, but he just hates us for our mistakes, and we got to remember that every failure was paid for at Calvary. We are saved by grace, and we're forgiven by grace. When we believe that our failures are too big to be forgiven, then we've made God's gift something that's based on works, not something that's based on grace. Romans eleven six says, and if by grace, if it is by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. God's love for us is not based on what we've done. Thank goodness. It's based on what he did. We can't earn his forgiveness. We can't earn his grace. We can never pay back. The gift that he gave this is why paul was able to say in romans 8 that there's no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus and actually if you go a little further down that chapter in verse 37 in romans 8 it says Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i'm convinced that neither life nor death neither angels nor demons neither present nor future nor any powers nor any height or depth nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of god as in christ jesus our lord Maybe you know it's a little bit of relief knowing that the Apostle Paul dealt with the same things that we deal with. Actually, if you go back one more chapter, and go back to chapter 7, that's where he's crying out to God in his failures and saying, God, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? And why do I keep not doing the things I do want to do? He's saying, God, why, why am I still messing up in this process of life? Why, why, is there, why, why do I still have this tendency to sin? Why do I still fail? Even Paul, it was sin, failure, mistakes, and baggage. And there's no way out of it except to hand those things over to Christ. In closing, I want to give you three things. I think it's on the back of your note sheet there. Three things that when we let go of guilt, three results. Number one, you relate to people differently. When you let go of guilt, you begin relating to people differently. Because guilt and shame, it hurts our relationships. If you go go back to Adam and Eve for a minute, y'all do realize that Adam and Eve had absolute perfection. Did y'all realize that they were both married to the best-looking person in the world. They were in love. They never cheated on one another. Isn't that awesome? He was never late for work. She never burnt the dinner. There was never fights over in-laws. They had the perfect life, right? There wasn't a whole lot to argue over. But guilt and shame did affect their relationship. So we see sin and cause of guilt, as we talked about a minute ago, they hid from God and when they finally were confronted by God, they're pointing the finger at each other, bringing accusation against each other. And we know things didn't go very well from there. Go over another chapter and you see one son killing the other one, right? Guilt and shame affects our relationships. Philippians 2, 1 through 3 says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress each other. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. We can't do that when we're eaten up by guilt and shame. So, when we let go of guilt, we relate to people differently. Secondly, we relate to God differently. We relate to God differently. Hebrews 12:2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what was the joy? The joy was us. Knowing that we'd be free and be in relationship with God again. That was the joy that was set before him. That's where he was going. That was the purpose of the cross, right? So for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Another version says scorning the shame. Jesus went to the cross to bear, obviously, our sin, but our shame and our guilt. We don't have to be afraid of God. God is not mad at you. He's not angry with us. You never have to be in a position where you feel like you can never be enough for God. He loves us, and you can always relate to him as a good heavenly father. That's who he is. So when we let go of guilt, we relate to God differently. And the last thing, when we let go of guilt, we can be used by God. When we're not weighed down by guilt... We do relate to people differently. We do relate to God differently, but we find ourselves beginning to care about the things that God cares about instead of being so selfish and consumed with ourselves and our own desires and our own dreams. We live in a self-consumed culture, a very materialistic culture. All we care about is ourselves. But the more we let go, the more we draw close to Him, and the more we come like Him, and we find our desires begin to line up with His. His desire, what what, what is God's heart? He loves people. And he loves seeing people free and in relationship with them. You think less of yourself and you think of others more. Psalm 1835 says, you make your saving help my shield. Your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. Regardless of what you've done in your life. All you've got to do is turn and receive him and let go of all the baggage and things that you're carrying that shouldn't be there. All we can do is let go of our guilt and shame and hand it over to God. I'm going to continue on in a couple of weeks and, and talk about some steps we can take according to the Bible to get free and to stay free. But let's, let's bow our heads together as we close here. Let's, just, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want you to understand that, you know, everything that I've said today is, it's all in the Bible. God wants you free. He does love you. He will free you. He will restore you. But there's one prerequisite in your life. You have to give your life to Jesus. You have to give your life to Him and be in relationship with Him. And here's the reality of things. We do a lot of things we regret in life, but giving our life to Christ isn't one of them. I've never known anybody in this life who looks back at the end and says, wow, wow. Man, I regret giving my life to Jesus. Man, I regret doing things God's way. Man, I regret living a life of integrity. I wish I had lived for the world a little bit more. I I wish I had committed adultery a little bit more. I wish I had compromised a little bit more of my life. Nobody says that. Nobody regrets giving their life to God. It's the most important thing that you can ever do. We look out there, and it seems like the world has so much to offer, but it's nothing compared to the price that Jesus paid and the gift that he gives us through his grace. The Bible says that to be in a relationship with him, all you've got to do is confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart. And then what do you do? You just follow him all the days of your life and you belong to him. The Bible says that when you do, you become a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. Does it mean that everything will be easy? It doesn't at all. But it means that he'll be with you. And He'll walk with you in the midst of the storms and the trials of life that He will will give you peace and even joy in the midst of it all. Just examine your heart for a minute. Does my life truly belong to Christ? As I always say, it's not about the prayer. There's nowhere in the Bible we see anybody praying a prayer to receive Christ. It's about making a decision that, you know what, I, I can't live my life anymore for myself. I can't try and do this on my own any longer. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. I need the one that I can trust, the one that will never fail me. It's embracing him and saying, God, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna do things your way. I'm gonna allow you to lead and guide my life. I'm gonna allow you to be a blessing in me and through me. And you'll see the difference. You'll see the peace that comes in knowing that you're secure in our Savior's hands. You may have never given your life to Christ before and then this is your moment. We are going to pray a prayer together for you to come to a place of decision. And you pray that prayer, all you got to do is believe in your heart and you find yourself coming into all these promises. But you may have, you may find yourself, you may have, you may have been one of these. It's Maybe you've gone to church your whole life but you realize that you're still dealing so much with selfishness and things within your own heart, and and that you're not following Christ with your life, and that maybe going to churches, maybe it's just a routine. Walking through the doors, and maybe it's guilt. Maybe you're just doing it to appease God and, and, and trying to be in right standing with Him. You don't have to do it one more day. You can make a decision today and say, Jesus, be mine. I give my life to You, and I'll follow You all the days of my life with every head bowed and every eye closed if that's you and you would say you know what I need to get my life right with Jesus today if that's you let me see your hand lift your hand and let me see it right quick who would say I need to give my life to Christ today yeah who else who else would say I'm tired of living for myself I'm tired of carrying the load myself I need to be free I'm tired of the guilt and the shame I need Jesus to invade my life anybody else would say that okay you can put your hands down it's just I, I just want to all of us pray this together. And it doesn't matter if you lifted your hand or not. If you pray this, I mean, of all your heart, Jesus will come in and you will be that new creation. All things, old things passed away and all things becoming new. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus. I am so tired of living life for myself. I am sorry, Lord, for my failures. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for letting you down. I ask you to forgive me, and today, I put my hope in Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for giving your life in my place. I thank you for paying for my sin for paying for my shame and guilt. And I give my life to you. I declare that you are my Lord today. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I will follow you all the days of my life.